So I'm continuing our sermon series entitled Battle Royale and um, started it two weeks ago. I might go another week after today, uh, depending on what we accomplish and where the Holy Spirit will take us. But I, I literally got this um, word in my spirit when I was in prayer. So I was here walking one night praying, and I heard the Spirit of God say that, that my people are in warfare. And especially since we started these, these moves of God. You know what's interesting to me? What's interesting to me is the people that after God touches them don't come back. And they don't come back. It's like the ten lepers. That, that kind of blows my mind how they'll just kind of like, I got what I wanted and they leave. And I'm just, I'm just here to tell you, let's not be like them. Let's not be like that. Let's stay faithful. Let's stay committed to what God's doing. Don't leave me up here hanging, y'all. I thought I was talking to the group, the, group, the committed group. Praise God. Thank you, five claps and one, mm, okay, praise God. Um, I'm here to tell you that there is a move of God happening here. I don't care what the numbers say. There's a move of God happening here. I've, I've counted in my hand four couples that have left our church since the revival. They were here the whole time, and they left our church since revival happened, and they're all middle-aged white people. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but I'm like, if you're middle-aged and white, hang with us. Just don't, don't leave us. Yeah, I'm middle-aged and white. Don't leave. I don't know if they get nervous. I don't know what the story, I haven't found out yet, but I'm going to figure it out. Um, but people leave. Uh, uh, people that were faithful are no longer here. So that means you got to take their place. Whatever God's doing in them, God's got to do in them. But I feel like it's, there's a conviction that comes. And if you're not living right, it's going to get exposed. And so and I'm not here. I told God, I said, I don't care if there's one person standing in this church. I'm doing what you call me to do. Because I know what will happen with God. He trims it all down. Come on. And then he says, now we can take it from here. And so I'm going to let him do that today. I just don't want to, I don't want to preach to a bunch of people that love the Packers more than they love Jesus. Love hunting more than love Jesus. Come on, somebody. Love vacations more than they love Jesus. I want some hardcore believers that know how to throw down in the day of battle. And when Battle Royale comes to their household, they know how to fight big. Come on. And win. And if I'm in a battle, I want to make sure I got people got my back. Praise God. I just can't believe it. So anyways, but so obviously warfare has broken out in many people's lives. And it's real. And if you don't know how to deal with it correctly, you'll get in your emotions. And that's where the devil will win. And the biggest place that we've got to fight the enemy is going to be in our thought life. Everybody say, sometimes I have stinking thinking. Come on, just say it. We've got to change the way we think. Because the battlefield literally is in the mind. If the devil can get a thought in you, that thought will move into your heart. When it gets in your heart, it will create an image. And if that image is negative, if that image is darkness, if that image is of you losing rather than winning, that's exactly the way your life will go. So we've got to combat him at a level of our thinking unlike we've ever had before. You've got to see the word of God come to pass in your heart before it comes to pass. And you've got to believe it's possible here. But you also got to believe that it's possible here. You've got to tell your mind to be obedient. Somebody say amen. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. For as he thinks in his heart, as he thinks, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. You are what you think you are, 
and you will have what you think you will have. No more, no less. Whatever gets into the thought process becomes the essence of who you are for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. He becomes that. And I want to just declare this, that all the praying over you in the world that we could do will not negate your responsibility to renew your mind to the Word of God. I don't care. We could pour oil over you until it's an oil slick on top of your head. Come on, someone. We pray for you. I mean, every service. And if you're not willing to change your thinking... And allow God's word to work on your mind and in your heart. Nothing of change or real value will come about. And the story of the prodigal son probably, um, probably captures this best. And most of you know, know the story. But let me just rehearse it with you real quick. This, the young uh, man, he was the son of a, a wealthy father. He had a brother as well. And he was taken care of. He was he was literally raised in the lap of luxury. You know, he had a silver spoon in his mouth. In other words, he didn't have any wants. And one day, he decided, you know what? I want to live for myself. I don't need my father telling me how to live. I want to live the way I want to live. So he goes to his dad and says, Dad, I know you've got an inheritance for me, and usually that inheritance comes once you die, but I want my inheritance now. Don't wait till you die. I want it right now. And the father says, Son, it is your inheritance. Therefore, if you want it, I'll give it to you. And he gives his son the inheritance. And we know the story that he went out and he went and he spent all of his money on riotous living or partying. That's what that meant. He was a party animal, you know. He went out and had lots of friends. And he went out to the bars and the discos or whatever they go to the club. And he went and he partied and had a good time doing whatever he wanted in the flesh. And all of his money was gone. And when the money went dry, the friends went, they were gone as well. They went away. Notice that. That always happens. So he is now in a place where he hasn't eaten for days. He's starving. He's got no money. He's got no place to lay his head at night. He ends up in a field next to the, a farmer who has pigs. And every day he watched them, them pigs eating. He thought, my God, they're eating. I got nothing to eat. So he went in after the farmer would feed the pigs. And he stole the food that the farmer fed the pigs. I, mean, I don't know if you guys know anything about farming or pigs, but they don't give the pigs the best stuff. You know what I'm talking about? It's called what? Slop. Why? Because it's slop. That's what it is. And so, um, so he went and he would eat the food. He was eating the food. And the Bible says, and that day that this young prodigal son, the Bible says he came to himself. Which means this. It means he had a new thought about who he was. He had a revelation. The light bulb went off in his thinking. And he thought, wait a second here. I used to live in a lap of luxury. I had servants. He said, my father was a good man. He said, I know I have messed up. The first thing he recognized was I need to repent of what I have done to myself and my father. I've sinned against him. I've sinned against heaven. And i got to go back to my dad and tell him. And I will ask him, just make me one of your hired hands. Make me a servant. I'm not worthy to be your son. And my dad's a good man. He might not make me a son, but I know he'll take me in as a servant because he's got a good heart. And the Bible says he had that moment, an epiphany, a revelation, a new thought. 
And he decides, now I will go, and I will go back to my father. When he goes back to his father, the father sees the son, and he runs to his son and hugs him, and they embrace, and they kiss, and I've missed you, and all the, the things that go along with that. You were dead, and now you're alive. You're lost, and now you're found. And he said, Father, listen to me. Please forgive me, for I have sinned against you, and I have sinned against heaven. I thought I could do it on my own. I thought I could live without you, Father, but I realize I can't live without you. You're the one I need. And so just if you'll take me back into your home, take me back into your presence, take me back into your household. I don't have to be a son. I'll just be a servant, but I know you'll take care of me, Dad. If you love me, if you have some grace and mercy, please forgive me. Isn't that just like the Father in heaven? who when he sees his son or daughter come back, and if they'll simply repent, he said, son, he said, you will never be like my servant. I will only take you one way, and that is you are my son. Bring me my robe. Bring me my ring. Bring me my sandals. And he placed his robe upon his shoulders and the ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. The robe represented sonship. It represented the favor of the father. Just like Rebecca put the, uh, the, put the, the um, robe that was upon Esau on Jacob's back. J Esau was the one who was the firstborn. But Rebecca said, son, I don't want you to feel like you're out on the out. I want you to feel like you're on the in and put the robe on him. Or just like Pharaoh when he raised up Joseph out of that prison. Come on somebody. He said you now will wear my ring and put his ring on his finger and said whatever he says I back. I will not take him as a servant any longer. He's like one of my own children. He's like an heir to my throne and he's got my ring and he now has my authority. Come on. Oh, the sandals on my feet. He said, he said, these sandals are for you, son. A servant or a hired hand would be one that would walk barefoot because they didn't have enough money or anybody to take care of them. But you, son, will never walk barefoot in my presence. Put on my sandals. It represents I receive you back into my household. Come on, somebody. That'll preach. All because, all because he had an epiphany. And he came to himself, and he had a new thought about his life. Redirected thinking produces a redirected life. And remember, you move in, in the direction of your most dominant thoughts. Whatever you think about the most is where your life is going to end up. So if you think about shortage all day long and lack, that's where your life is going to end up. I wish I could preach to two or three people here today. The war that has been engaged starts in your mind first. Nothing comes into the earth without the imagination. Hang with me. Everything starts with an image. That's the creative power of God that he placed in you. You were blessed by God in the very beginning to be like him, a reproducer and a creator. So the enemy has to take the battle to your thought life. Why? So he can abort the image of God that is in you. And if he can't abort it, he will try to distort it. He's always trying to mess with your mind to get you to have an image of what bad might go wrong in your life. So God gives you a promise, and in the promise, every time he gives you a promise, it's something spectacular. It's something huge. It's something bigger than yourself. 
to where you got to have faith and trust that it's going to come to pass, just like God said. But the devil comes along and says, sure, that's going to happen. You know you tried that last year, and you know you tried that before, and you've said that before, and that's never come to pass. You know how it is. Sometimes God does, and sometimes God don't. That's a lie. If God ever said it, he meant it, and it will come to pass if you'll simply believe. Come on, church. Don't let the devil distort it and put the wrong image in you. Because if you have a wrong image, you'll imagine yourself in the place you never wanted to be. Quit being so in love with pity. Well, that just came out of me. People are addicted to pity. Feel bad for me. Feel bad for me. The best thing I could do is not feel bad for you. Kick you in your behind and say, get up out of that mess. And you go ahead and march forth where God told you to go. Quick belly aching. Try up your tears. Come on. That don't sound like love. That is love. When you coddle somebody, they will end up dying. your child runs out in the traffic, what do you do? Timmy. Oh, Timmy. Mm, I don't want to offend him, but there is a big truck coming. Timmy, come, come. What would you do? You scream, Timmy! Stop! You don't care if he gets offended. You're saving the boy's life. We'll talk about feelings and emotions and love later. Sometimes you just got to be that aggressive, especially when it comes to the devil. Feel sorry for the devil. He had his chance. Don't let him take, the, take you to hell with him. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Get out of the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that means fleshy, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. That word arguments means imaginations and reasonings. So here we have the devil. He said, the devil's trying to get us in the flesh. And God says, you can't walk in the flesh. You can't war in the flesh. Your weapons are not in the flesh. I know you want to knock the devil out. I know you want to jump and kick him in the neck. I, want, I know you want to put him in a rear naked hold, choke hold and take him out. But you can't fight him with your natural hands. He said, I'll cuss him out. I cussed the devil out last week. Cussing him out ain't going to freak him out. Ain't going to change his mind. He's just making you more fleshy. And you'll be cussing him out next month and the month after that too. That ain't the, that ain't the plan of God. You've got to take the battle out of the flesh and get it back in the spirit where you will overcome and win. Because the weapons of God's warfare are mighty for pulling down strongholds and imaginations and reasonings and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Church, we've got a responsibility to make sure our thought life lines up with Christ's life. Lines up with the word life. i got to bring down that imagination that's trying to creep up inside of me and tell me I'm going down. Or give me a pride and lofty a vision of myself. One that's not of God. To position myself in a place I don't supposed to be. That's terrible language. English says terrible. Don't supposed to be. 
but it sounds good. Amen. In other words, in other words, I can't allow the devil to put the wrong image in me. Did you hear me? I gotta root it out. Why? Because it becomes a strong hold. It lays down roots in my life. Church, you've got to understand, you got to get it out of the flesh, that war, and in the spirit where there's victory. If you sow to the spirit, there's life. If you sow to the flesh, there's corruption. Because thoughts create strongholds that hold you captive in the spirit. What's the stronghold? When you say stuff and believe it, and then the image gets inside of your thinking. When you say, I'm a failure, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough, I don't add up, I'm broke as a joke, I'll probably never get over this situation. That's one I hear all the time. He ripped my heart, I'll probably never get over it. And we say these things, and we just think they're just things that we said. But what happens is it creates the image inside of us, and we don't see ourselves getting over it. And we always see, always see ourselves as broke. And we always think of ourselves as a failure or don't add up or not good enough. These thoughts create invisible prisons that hold you captive. And every time you try to escape the prison, the warden or the devil throws up another image of how you're incapable of ever getting out. Ever notice that? God shares something with you, and it's exciting, and you get pumped up, and the next day something happens, and that lie whispers in your ears, see? See? Just like it always has been, see? That's the warden making sure he goes click, click, locks that lock in that jail cell to keep you in that place so you'll never, ever come out of it. So how do you escape? You put the battle back in the realm of the spirit. You got to change the arena. You have the authority to change the arena. If you stay in the flesh, cussing, angry, mad, frustrated, disappointment, uh, depressed, oppressed, whatever it might be. You, if you stay in the flesh, I'm telling you straight out, you listen to me, you will, you will lose the battle, Period. Why? He's too good. This devil's too slick. He's been doing, he's antiquated. He's, he's done this so, he, he has done this for 6,000 years. Amen. I say he's stupid, but he's not an idiot. Anybody's stupid go against God, but you're not an idiot because he's got, he understands how men work and how women work and he knows what buttons to push in you and he'll keep you in the flesh. But if you just say by the spirit, I'm not staying here any longer. Look what John 6, says. Jesus actually said, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Keep on cussing. Keep on being frustrated. It profits nothing. The words that I speak, the words, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. So Jesus, we said last week, was in the wilderness and, and he, was, he was being tempted, by, led by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. 40 days and 40 nights, he's there being tempted and the devil comes to him three times. And each time, the devil said, you better get out here. I'll cuss you out. I'll 
Don't mess with me today. I'll punch you out. I'll slap you. He can't fight him in the flesh. Each time the devil comes, times time the devil comes, he says this. He says these words. It is written. It is written. Hey, devil. It is written. Not by what I have to say in my emotions, but what, what God has already said judges you. That's called confession. Confession in the Word of God in the New Testament is the Greek word homologio, which means to, to say what God has already said. And it now then puts the devil in a position where he cannot upbraid. He cannot go against that word authority. So you see how the devil wants to keep you in your emotions? So you won't speak the word. You got to get to the place when you get up in a bad situation, circumstance, you got to get to a place where it feels better to speak the word of God, shouting it, than it does cussing. When I say cuss, I mean, I mean the Christians cuss too. Maybe they don't say all the bad words, but sometimes it's stinking, rotten, no good, sh shoot, dang it. Still coming out of the bad, that's, that's not good, that's out of the heart, that's wrong. That's all that frustration coming about you. Come on, somebody. You're like, oh, dang. I, I, I can't even I can't say that word now. I can't even say dang anymore. That's just a cuss word. I'm just telling you, what's in the heart comes out the mouth, and it produces the fruit. I, 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 got, I don't know if the connection is being made, but I can't say it any more plain than that. So, okay, so Jesus, he's able to do it. How does he do it? Defeat the devil? By the word. Well, look what it says in Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because why? The devil is coming to you. But you're going to whip him. No problems. You ain't got no problem here. For we do not wrestle, he said, against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand with, withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Don't you move. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you're able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the only offensive, offensive weapon he's got. The rest is defensive. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying how long? How often? Oh, y'all said pretty weak, y'all. You said like a conviction. Praying always. <laughs> Amen. I know y'all love it when I say I'm praying here at the church. I can see it in your faces. You like that your pastor prays. I think you really do. I think you're grateful that I pray, and that's a good thing, and, and I feel that. I really do. But I got to say the same of you. I want to look at your eyes and go, I'm thankful that you're praying. Because five minutes on a Monday is not enough, guys. You've got to find time with God every single day of your life. It don't have to be long, but it's got to be sincere. It's got to be real. Amen. So we pray always because why? We're taking the battle to the spirit, right? 
He said, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You cannot win the battle without being in the spirit. And what is the spirit? What is spirit? The word, his word is spirit. My words have life their spirit and they are life and the word of God becomes in the spirit becomes the sword of the spirit. So the word has transformative power and it will transform everything about your life. Uh, whatever your deficiency happens to be currently in your life, if you'll just take a time, Google it, don't be lazy. Get in there, find out what your problem is, whatever it is, and then find the word of God. That speaks directly to the point of where you're, what you're going through. And then once you find it, you start meditating it and speaking it every single day. And you will find that your thinking will begin to shift into the right direction. That's why you can't, the worst time to be lazy is when you're in war. But I've noticed when I get in war, I want to lay down. I just want to watch Netflix. I'm, I'm telling myself, I just want to lay down. I want to chill. I'm like, I'm, I'm, like, I'm just going to go home. I think, I, I, I dream about it. I'm just going to go home, and I'm just going to lay down on that couch, man. And I'm going to watch some television. I ain't going to let nobody bother me. I said, nobody, get out of here. That's how I feel. I'm, just, I'm going to be by my, and it never works out that way. God will never let me do it. And I know if I do it, I'm going to, let me tell you something. When you are silent, it is a position of defeat. And what I've noticed is when I want to be silent is the most critical moment. i got to recognize, I just want to lay down. I am so tired. I can't think straight. That's the moment I say, I'm going down to church or I'm getting in my car. i got to be alone. i got to be with God. And that first five minutes, it might be a two, like it might be the worst struggle I've ever had. But after that, I break through, and now I'm on the other side, and I know that I know that I know that I've touched heaven, and I got vigor and vitality again, and I know everything's gonna be all right. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I took the battle out of the zone of being in the flesh, just lay down and quit and just take a time out. Some of y'all just gonna look at me. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Look at Proverbs 18, verse 20. A man's stomach shall be satisfied from the fruit of his mouth. From the produce of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Didn't say death and life are the power of God. Didn't say it was in the power of the enemy. It says in the power of your tongue. Whatever you give voice to. Romans 4, 17, as it is written, I made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God who gives light to the dead and calls those things that be not, do not exist as though they did. Well, Ephesians tells us in chapter 6, verse 1, I believe, says be imitators of God as his dear children. So whatever God does, I'm supposed to imitate. God speaks life where there's death. God calls things that don't exist as though they existed. I don't have time to elaborate on that, but that is how it works. All right? I'm going to quit right around here. Here we go. I'm going to say it. Said it for service. You are not supposed to be broke all your life. Get that in your heart. Get that in your spirit. Here's the problem. At some point, you probably lost the thought war. 
and now a stronghold of poverty, not enough, just enough, just get by, has been built in your life, and you got to tear it down, and you tear it down with the Word of God. And again, I don't have all the scriptures today. I can get them, but it's just, I mean, don't make me do the work for you. Google it. All the prosperity scriptures, all prosperity scriptures in the Word of God, and it will give you a litany of scriptures. One that sticks out is this, that God takes pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. It's God's good pleasure to give you and I his kingdom. Is God broke? He walks on wealth. He walks on streets of gold. He made his gates. There's 12 gates into his heaven. 12 of them, all of them, solid pearl. His throne is made up of jaspers and rubies and diamonds. God ain't got no problem with prosperity. Because it's not in his heart to be greedy. It's always in his heart to give. Whatever he has, he wants to give to his children. You have a daddy who loves you and a daddy who wants to prosper you. I'm not talking about so you can say I'm filthy rich and now you can live in the lap of luxury and that's it. If that's, if that's what we're here to do, I mean, just shoot us and get us out of our misery now. No, we prosper so that we can take care of the needs we have and so we have more than enough to be a blessing to establish his covenant and his kingdom in the earth. I want to feed children in the city, and I want to feed children around the world, but it's going to take money and economy to do that. I don't know how else to do that. Amen, somebody. And, 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 and he is capable. God honors that. Deuteronomy 8.18, and you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. If he didn't want you to have it, he wouldn't give you the power to get it. That he, here's the purpose for it that he may establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. God wants you to prosper. He wants me to prosper so that we're able to take care of his kingdom, build his house, preach his gospel, feed and take care of, of, of the widows and the children and so on and so forth. How about digging wells where they have no water? You know what, Americans, we we. we Bellyache, we're biggest babies in the world. I, I'm ashamed sometimes of myself and the things I say to myself. Um, I need more. Need more. My God. Most of y'all, most of you woke up in a house. And if you did, at least it had wood floor or it had carpeting on to put your little tootsies on. Come on, somebody. 89% of the rest of the world woke up on dirt. Dirt. In 2018, they're still living in dirt shacks. The rest of the world. Amen. And, and so we got no right to complain about not having enough. But it's okay to say, I want more. As long as it's saying, Lord, it's so not only going to take care of my needs, but I can be a blessing in your kingdom. So I can establish your covenant. Amen. Philippians 4.19. I'm going to leave right here. This is good, y'all. Good. First, we'll get in your spirit. Write this down. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. The revelation, uh, I studied this and I couldn't believe I saw this. I had never seen this before. 
And I studied out those words. I, I said, my God shall supply. Supply means to fill to the full all the way to the top. All what? Supply all my what? Needs. Need means this. It means distribution of funds, money. It means uh, business endeavors and necessity of duties. So when I put it together, my God shall fill to the full all the way to the top that which is lacking in my business endeavors, my necessity of duties, and my distribution of funds according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I'm out here in the flesh trying to do what I got to do, come on, to make a living, trying to make it happen, scratching along. And God says, I want to be God. I want to supply. I want to do something supernatural. I want to help you out. Amen. And the greatest way, church, you're ever going to find it in the Word of God. Because remember, we're going to take your battle, your financial battle, and your, your um, prosperity battle out of the flesh and back into the spirit, which means we put it back in the Word of God. What does the Word say? The Word says, when you become a giver, you try to find it anywhere else, it's not there. If it wasn't, I'd stop giving. We'd all stop giving because it wouldn't be there. But it's there. When you give your tithe and your offering. So well, I'm doing just fine, Pastor. You know, I can take care of mine and so on and so forth. Yeah, but that's just you. See, to me, eking out a living ain't destiny. Boy, it got real quiet right there. Now I stepped on everybody's toes. My God. Good. Let me, I got your attention. No, I'm not here to just eke out a living so I can just get by. I don't want to offend anybody. I hope I didn't. And so now then... I want my destiny. Destiny for me isn't punching the clock nine to five. That's not destiny. I want my purpose to be fulfilled. And that means to get my purpose fulfilled, I've got to do it God's way. I've got to be obedient to what God says. When I become a giver, it opens the windows of heaven over my life, and God pours out the empowerment to prosper. Amen, somebody. Then my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Amen.